Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wednesday night, the Oilers beating the Anaheim Ducks 3-1. The Nuge getting to 100 points and one man who'd love to see it, former Edmonton Oiler, former teammate of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Luke Gazdick. Yeah, that was awesome. I uh, Man, it's, it's fun to watch. It was almost a slow motion, eh? Just like the, the pass across and the second pass, and it's good. Guys are, I mean, that's a big monument. But that's kind of a microcosm of how aware players are. Like, guys know about all the all the records and, and stuff like that. So when there's a time for personal achievements like that, um, it's cool to see other teammates kind of lean on it and, and make sure it, and make sure it gets done. So what did, what did you just think of the reaction? I mean, Hyman points at him, gets the puck. There's some video of them coming off the ice and yelling his name. And the news didn't go into too much deal detail, but he said there was a, like a special moment in the dressing room after. Like when you hear all that, what, what do you think of Oh, typical Nuge underplaying it, eh? underselling everything. Uh, it makes me feel like I wanted to be back in that dressing room. That's what it felt like. Uh, I I, um, I miss those guys, and I miss Nuge. And, and even seeing uh, Gino interview him pregame, um, constantly saying longest tenured Oiler, it, it's just the fact that I got to play with them, I think, was awesome. And, I, and it was three years. Uh, he lived right down the street from me. Uh, we both lived over in Glenora. Um it was it was great getting to know him. He sat beside me on the plane, like I've told you before. We played cribbage, and we would hang out away from the rink. And you know, he was just so easygoing and just such a great teammate. And I, I just I remember one instance in Denver. Uh, we were staying in you know Cherry Creek or whatever it's called. There's a big mall, and we just had an off day. And I don't know why I remember it, but me, Nuge, Schultze, and Keith Ollie just went and cruised around the mall, and then. And then I had a really nice sit-down dinner that night. And I just love Ryan, man. He's he's such a cool cat. And and just to see him smile like that, like when he's full smiling, you know that you know that he's happy about something because he usually play keeps his emotions pretty close, uh, pretty close to himself. I mean, everybody and my experience with him professionally as a media guy is that that he is an incredibly a nice guy. Very, very professional, um, you know, very, uh, very open, you know, like willing to interact. Um, what as a teammate, I mean, most teammates will get along, right? And will compliment each other. But he seems to be on next level. Like, like, what is it? Is it just his compassion? Is it just his, uh, you know, how he cares about other people? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. And I think I just think it's um 
Oh, man, that's a good question. I think his personality just kind of rubs off on other people in the sense that he's very quiet and mild-mannered, and he's very approachable. And so even if I had you know, a question about something or a drill in practice or, or a skill that he did or a shot that he had done in the game before, like he, he doesn't care coming up and talking and having that conversation. And it, it, it's his phys- physical effort too that really I think draws a lot of teammates in is that he brings that same effort every day in every game. Like there's no days off for him. Some guys are kind of frauds in the sense that, yeah, they'll say, oh, we're working our tails off, but they're not really, they're not doing the things away from the rink and, and away from the game that they should be doing, where he's just all pro. He, he comes in, gets his lift in, is eating the right things, is getting his treatment. He's just, he's a very easy guy to, to, to look to lead to. Well, that's, that's a great way to put it. And besides him being a very, very good hockey player, you know, part of the reason he's beloved so much in oil country is his longevity and the fact that he was here through a lot of really bad years, right? I mean, you know, nine, ten years ago, we were talking about, okay, the team is Nuge, Hall, and Everly, right? That's that's who's going to be built around it. And he's the only one still left out of all that. You know, and you were, you were here for part of that. Like, how did he, how did you see him handling some of those tough years? And probably sometimes, I, I know from doing a call-in show, probably sometimes unfairly he took some blame from the fan base. Well, Nuge isn't good enough. Nuge is, you know, why was he first overall? This kind of stuff. Like, how did you see him handling all the the stress that goes with being an oiler and an oiler at times on teams that weren't very good? I just think Nuge has this innate ability to block out the outside noise. He doesn't have Instagram. He he might have a Twitter account, but he definitely doesn't run it. It might just be kind of like a, you know, typical athlete account that's, you know, tweet. it's good, still good. She tweets about his charity initiatives and stuff, but I don't think he personally is going on and searching his name on Twitter and, and reading a lot of articles. He He's a very family-oriented guy, and he kind of blocks that stuff out, which is really hard to do in a place like Edmonton uh, because even if you do that and you got no social, you turn on the car, you turn on the radio you you walk by a news station you see the newspaper like it's hard to get away from um and he just had this really good ability of just kind of being able to control we all we're always told control you can control and he just had such a good ability at doing that and and it was just so it was so respectable for me to see um just because it's so easy to get, to get caught up in all that stuff and Back over the years, Reed, I mean, how many bad years did we go through? That did, did I go through? Did you, the city, everyone? And he never asked for a freaking trade. He never sat there and said, I'm not coming back to camp next year. You know, even having a plethora of guys at center and then getting Connor, maybe he's getting bumped down with his role. He never said, I want out of here. He never, he never complained. He just went about his damn business and was the best hockey player that he could be. And... You know, that's tipping, man. You do the same right things over and over and over again. You know, things are bound to be successful for you. And I think we're seeing the fruits of his labor right now, nine years after he came into the league. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to that's a great way to put it and great perspective. And you mentioned to me a couple of appearances ago. um, I think it was when he had the fight with Justin Hall, though, just about how competitive he is. Right. He's like the mild mannered guy who can. the Hulk can come out when necessary, right? 
<laughs> yeah, he uh, he can be a little scary, and I, I I've seen that, and it's it's when he gets upset, when he gets upset or frustrated at something, he has that you know what the kids say, he's got that dog in, like he he uh, he doesn't take any crap, and I, I didn't know he was that tough. I know we talked about it. I didn't know he was gonna he's gonna <laughs> two punch uh, two punch the guy, but yes, he has got a little bit of a mean streak, and honestly, I wish we saw it a little more. But uh, I'll take what I can get right now. Uh, one fight a year for him, I'm, I'm okay. How competitive were the cribbage games on the plane? Everything was competitive. We had, so we used to get per diem, even before the cribbage game started. As you sit down, you walk by, you get your per diem envelope, Patty Garland walk by, hand them out, whoever it is. And um, you were always left with a couple coins inside. So whether it was like a loonie or a toonie, right? Because the money was never exact. So he'd want to play odd man out or... Um, uh, rock, paper, scissors, what, pick a number. He'd, he'd have a game every time, and you'd play for all the coins. So it was good because you'd end up with, like, $25, but it was $25 and change, right? So he'd get everyone around. He'd be like, hey, we're everyone in. Everyone in. We're playing for it. And so I, I won once, and it's fun. Yeah, like I said, but then you got 20 or 30 bucks and change you got to ride around for the whole road trip with. <laughs> And if you're in the states, and I always go, yeah, hey, yeah. and you're in the U.S. and it's with like loonies, yeah, with toonies and loonies in, a, in an envelope, and it's like, all right, I gotta wait to get to Canada, back to Canada, I'll spend these all at Timmy's or whatever. But that was before the cribbage games even started, Reed. So yes, he he is uh, he's a competitive man. Okay, that is Luke Gazdick. Hope you're having a great Friday evening. It's the best of Inside Sports tonight on six thirty. Chad Curtis Stock with a new book. In the world of horse racing, we got the details coming up. Walk with the dog. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent setting injury lawyers. And Hopkins to McDavid in over the line. Now over to Hyman. The book is called The Turcots, The Remarkable Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty. And it was written by longtime Edmonton sports writer Curtis Stock. I asked Curtis where the idea for the book came from. It goes back 20 years, actually. I had the idea 20 years ago. Uh, but when uh, COVID hit, I finally said there's no reason anymore to put this off. And I started writing it. So it goes back a long time. But it's such a fascinating story. So how long have you known? The, the, the Turcots. I mean, it's got to be most, if not all, of oh. your career, I would assume. God, yeah. I went and saw Ronnie in New York when he was riding in New York in the early 1970s. So I've known him for a long time. He lives in St. Albert. Uh, we talked lots. Uh, uh, Rudy uh, rode here for a little while. I got to know him. Uh, Noel, I didn't know. And uh, Roger rode here, so I knew him very well. Okay, so you have their full participation in this book because sometimes, like I've had Jeff Perlman on the show and I, I know I'm sure this is mostly a positive book, but like sometimes the subjects are like, I just I just don't want to participate. But they they're, they were fully uh, into this, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, a, you know, it's an unbelievable story. I mean, they went on to such greatness and triumphs, but uh, there's a lot of tragedy in the book as well, and uh, that's 
well detailed. Um, so how? So you mentioned you had the idea twenty years ago to, yeah. to do this. What, I, I'm curious, just kind of a behind the scenes type question. Like, what is your writing process? Would you try to make it like nine to five, nine to noon? I no. got to write. How did you approach your day? Uh, I'd get up sometimes at four or five o'clock in the morning and start writing, and sometimes I'd write till after midnight. Uh, I didn't have a set schedule. There was a lot of research that went into it. And that's what took most of the three years for me to complete it. You would write literally all day sometimes. Uh, or close. Yeah, I'd take a break, but uh, a lot of times there's a lot of hours written and uh, a lot of hours of research, like I said. Um, some days it would only be a couple hours, you know, and you just didn't do it. And there's no point in pushing it when you can't do it. So, but it... Uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, okay, so I, so you you were doing interviews as you're doing this, and how much yeah. did you dig back into maybe stuff you had written 20 years ago or other stories people had written? Oh, lots. I mean, I went through hundreds of newspapers and, uh, you know, microfiche and uh, stories in newspapers and Google searches and um, Equibase, uh, horse racing site for statistics. Uh, lots, a lot of work. And I, 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 and do you have? Well, I know you have an editor slash fact yeah. checker, and so I mean they had got to dive into all this too, right? Yeah, uh, the editor I used first for the first one was a guy uh, who worked at the journal for as long as I did, and uh, he was an editor, and we read uh, about seven days straight, about six hours a day, and then Firefly, which is the publisher, uh, they had have an editor of course and I worked with him uh, Darcy for you know for I don't know a month just going back and forth so how is that process because I assume if you write it and submit it you're feeling pretty good about it so is it a little bit of give and take or is it like if the editor says look this yeah. has to be modified you don't have much choice <laughs> no no we really it was good there wasn't a lot of changes that had to be made there was a couple of you know suggestions that he made which were all good and, uh, you know, a couple of things that uh, we, we, it was give and take, and, and uh, I think it worked out really well. The only thing that I didn't agree with was the title, but uh, it's the Turcotte's the Remarkable Story of a Horse Raging Dynasty. I wanted to call it Triumph and Tragedy, but that was probably the only thing we argued about. Well, I've noticed that maybe this is just the, uh, the Internet age and the attention span age, or the lack of it, Curtis. Titles are getting more and more just explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, that's what this is. <laughs> so... It is a remarkable story. Uh, and, of course, we want to direct people to the book, and before we go, we'll let people know where they can get it. But you mentioned, uh, can you sort of outline something, you know, tragic that the Turcots uh, or one of the Turcots had to overcome along the way here that's that's pretty amazing? Well, all five of them uh, had problems. Uh, Ron Turcott, the writer, of course, was secretariat, probably, not even probably, definitely the greatest horse of all time. He was injured in a spill in 
1978, New York broke his back and was paralyzed in a ways down. He lives in a wheelchair. Rudy, Noel, and Roger were all alcoholics. Rudy died of alcoholism. Roger and Noel both took their lives. Hayes was hurt in a racing accident and told he could never ride again. So um, there's a lot of triumphs. They would, you know, collectively they won 8,251 races for purse earnings of just shy of $60 million, but there was a lot of tragedy too. Wow. Well, those numbers are amazing. And, and yeah, okay, so this will be uh, an interesting one for, for people to die. So, so, but they were okay going over all of that, eh? even the tougher stuff. They, they were okay kind of reliving it through telling you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you said that, you know, he, he, he wasn't proud of what happened to some of his brothers, but he was proud of them collectively. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, like the Turcotte name in horse racing is synonymous with greatness. And uh, they, they were all great riders, especially Ron, of course. But Rudy, uh, many say that he was even a better rider than Ron. So Roger was a leading apprentice rider in North America one year. Noel was a top rider in Canada. He was a top rider here. And uh, Rudy, he led the uh, standings up and down the Atlantic seaboard. Wow. Okay. So, Curtis, you, you know this better than I do. I mean, you, you and I have been lucky to spend most of our adult life, lives covering sports. Yeah. And But, you know, a good story is not just a sports story. It's a it's a people no. story. And that's what this is. Is and, and it's a family Absolutely. story, like and how yeah. much, how much like like is horse racing? Because it seems to me there are a lot of families in horse racing, is, and is it still as family oriented as it used to be? You know what I mean? Well, there's, I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, once you, I think once you get horse racing in your blood, it's there, and a lot of people come from you know racing backgrounds. They don't just you know become an accountant one day and then say they're going to be a trainer or a jaw or a jockey. You know, it's, 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 it's bred into them. You know, like I said, like once, once it's in your blood, it's there. I've been, I've been a fan of horse racing going back, you know, like 50 years. So. Yeah. Okay. So it's called the Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. And Curtis gave you the breaking news of what he wished it would have been called. Uh, how can people get their hands on it? Well, it's available on Amazon right now. It'll be in bookstores in the middle of April. Um, there's three book signings. I've got one uh, on uh, opening day of the thoroughbred racing season in Edmonton, which is Kentucky Derby Day, May 6th. Uh, that's a Century Mile. I've got one at Audrey's Books on May 13th, and another one in Calgary at Century Downs on May the 20th. Well, that's incredible. Well, when you're at Audrey's, you're going to like you focus on the signing. I know you can get in there and browse for hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hope somebody shows up. Oh, I think people will show up. Well, tell you what, uh, we'll we'll have to email me those or text me those dates so I can plug them too closer to because this is a great. I want to read this when uh, when it comes out uh, as well. This this will be great summer for uh, reading for me. Hopefully, after positive Pam gets her way and the Oilers are deep into the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, it's the Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. That was Curtis Stock as we take you through this edition of the best of inside sports on 630 Chet. We got a goalie fight and curling heartbreak coming up. Hi, I'm Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. 
At the Briar last month, the rink skipped by Edmonton's Brendan Botcher was eliminated in the semifinals. Mark Kennedy plays third on that rink, and he joined me a couple days after the Briar ended, and I asked him how the uh, rink sort of decompresses after the high stress of the Briar. Uh, it, it is a grind. It's, it's, I think it's more of a grind, too, as you get a little bit older, and it gets a little tougher on the body, too. So uh, we finished up on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we didn't fly out of London until Monday afternoon. So we kind of had a day to... Um, we went for a nice meal with the families, and, um, you know, we were pretty happy with our, our week, you know, in our first year as a team. We did, we, we've had a great season, so, you know, although we were disappointed and upset, we were also pretty um, just happy with how far we've come, so we had a chance to spend some time together and reflect a bit on the weekend, or on the week, um, and then we flew all Monday, and we're all kind of taking this week off to just get back to normal and get back to kids' activities and um, let the bodies relax, and then we'll ramp up here for the Players' Championship in mid-April. All right, so that's your next event then in, what, about three weeks? Yeah, I think we start uh, April 11th in Toronto, and uh, there's a lot on the line for us there. There's a big paycheck if we do well with the Pinty's Cup. We have a chance to win that, so we'll want to be uh, as prepped as possible, but we'll definitely need a little time off after that week. It's um, The Briars become something uh, it's emotionally draining. And the quality of curling is something I have never seen before in, in all of my years. So um, it's, a, it's a tough one to win. Well, that continues to strike me. And, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, with the pace of my job, uh, I don't get to see sometimes as much uh, as I would like if, if it's an Oilers game day or they're playing a lot. But I got to see yeah. quite a bit on, on the weekend. And I was just... And look, I've been watching curling all my life, but I'm seeing these shots like yeah. miss guards by half an inch and guys look like they're in impossible positions. And then I'm like, it's only the fourth end. Like, how's it going to end? You know, like what's going to happen in the last two ends? Yeah, there's there's drama. There's um, there's a lot going on. But I, like you said, you and I have talked about this a long time. And I've said this for years that, that Brad Gushu and his team have pushed the envelope. And if you want to compete, you have to, um, you know, they're kind of the 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 top of the podium right now and, and if you want to challenge them you almost have to be perfect so they're really pushing the rest of us to get better and work harder and have higher expectations and make more shots and, and even then with all the teams putting in that much time and effort they're still able to win so um, it's kind of back to the drawing board and keep working on certain things and look for areas that you can improve um, but sometimes it feels like there there's only so much more you can do because man guys are playing up in the mid 90% right from the first end and it's uh, it's a real challenge these days to beat those top teams you mentioned Gushu and his rink pushing the envelope obviously five of the last seven Briars now I believe Kevin Martin who obviously you've played for with as well in the past um, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong here or clarify I, I thought Kmart told me that the Gushu rink came up with a maybe not a new way to brush but an innovative way to brush that did something different to the rock is what am i remembering that right uh something like that there was uh i guess we're looking about seven years ago now there was a big uh, sweeping controversy in our sport when it came to fabrics on the broom um so it was about a 18 month process to regulate the fabrics that we could use and, and gushu's team was one of the teams that brought it forward saying you know these types of materials shouldn't be used look what we can do with these um so they were one of the, the 
you know, they weren't trying to hide anything. They were the ones that tried, trying to show the curling world how the fabrics could manipulate the curling rock. Um, so, and, and then things have improved since then, but in that whole process, we certainly learned some new sweeping techniques and some sweeping styles that have turned out to be very effective, and, and they continue to be a team that uses it um, very effectively. And, you know, that's why even now when you look at the teams that made the final five uh, or even top four um, are also some of the best sweeping teams because you can just do so much with really strong big guys and um, you know with with Brad picking up EJ Harnden and and now us with Brett Gallant um, the sweeping is still a huge part of the game so and look this is a total you know ignorant non-curler question but I know you'll <laughs> indulge me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you say the sweeping has improved. Is it just about dragging the rock further, or are you able to manipulate the curl even by an inch or two along the way? Yeah, so so that's a good question, actually. Even, even with the... There's only one fabric that's allowed at our level, and even with this fabric, there's still a little bit of manipulation of the stone. So not only distance. I mean, good sweeping will carry the rock further, no question, uh, but the ability to make the rock curl a little bit with good technique and strength and speed um, or to get the rock to stay straight and not curl. Um, so you can imagine if you have a little bit of margin for error on the curl or the straight side, how, you know, if you if you have a guy like Brad Gushu who's pretty damn good on his own and now you give him that extra inch or two of margin with good sweeping, um, that's a big reason why there are so many good shots being made because you're just giving those great shooters that much more margin for error. Right. Okay. Mark Kennedy joining us then at Inside Sports, third for Team Botcher. Look, I got to ask you about the final shot and I know there are hundreds of other shots that week and I know Botch is an elite shot maker. Unfortunately, his draw um, you know, to go to the final came up short on uh, Sunday, on Sunday morning, or I guess yeah. the early draw Sunday. I mean, what you know, what what happened? What do you say to your skip after uh, that one doesn't work out for him? Uh, you know, you, you don't say much. I think um, you know, Botch had a great week. We we really only got outplayed in one of eleven games that we played. Um, you know, Botch was fantastic. I think there was a few times this week where everybody got caught on a couple of draw spots where, you know, all of a sudden it was just a couple feet slower or all of a sudden it curled a little bit more than you expected. Um, you know, so Brendan and I talked a little bit about um, that spot on the ice. He had thrown a, a nice draw for two there in the sixth end. So we were throwing on a very similar spot. Um, we definitely needed a little bit less ice to make the shot in the 10th end so we took that little bit of less ice um and he threw it and just ended up being a little bit light but earlier in the game that speed probably would have got there so just got caught a little bit on a spot but you know what you don't do when you lose a game like that is strictly look at that one shot right you're looking at the the whole game at where we may have had opportunities and you know it's important for you know i find a lot of young teams or um yeah, even club teams, their first instinct is to is to blame the skip, right? <laughs> uh, the skip missed the last one to win. You know, yeah, but, you know, if I make my draw in the seventh or that makes his two in the fourth, maybe we're up a couple points. So, you know, we certainly don't single out that one shot as being the reason why we lost. And you also got to look at the Dunstone team in that tenth end. They played a perfect end. 
you know, they had no room for error on any of their eight shots, and they made them all perfectly. So, you know, hats off to them for doing that and put us in a tough spot, and we just weren't able able to capitalize. But all in all, a pretty good week for Team Botcher, and we're looking forward to uh, continuing to get better and hopefully competing for the Briar next year. You guys played Northern Ontario in an elimination game, skipped by, or, or Darren Mo- what does he throw second, but he skips? Is that how they did it? Uh, throws third. Throws third, thir- but thir- calls, thir- the calls the game. Yeah. He was with Botch for a long time. When that yeah. rink sort of started to break apart, um, Darren was public that he, he wasn't happy about how it was happening, and, and he, you know, he said some negative yeah. things about Botch along the way. Has that been dealt with? Was there anything simmering in that game? What's it like with Darren? Um, you know what? They, they found some peace earlier this year. You know, they had a chance to kind of come together and have a conversation and I think after time they were able to reflect on um, the great years they had together I think there's still a lot of mutual respect there Um, and so even in that game I think you saw them kind of chatting and and laughing a few times and I don't think there's really any hard feelings there anymore they've moved on as much as the the haters want um, them to continue to hate each other I think they've they've moved on and found some peace of mind so you know there, there was no tension during that game we're all good with Darren. Um, you know, it's unfortunate the way that things ended with that team. Um, but like I've told people right from the beginning, that Brendan, you know, Brendan got thrown under the bus a lot and, and really did take the high road. He's, he still never said one negative word about Darren um, or what happened there. So credit to those guys for figuring it out. And uh, it actually ended up being a great game. And, and it was Colin Hodgson's last game. He was retiring, which was kind of uh, stole the storyline for that game. But no, as far as I know, everything's good there and everyone is able to to move on and um yeah that's um i think that's good for everybody all right and I'll ask you about the format as well, and we've talked about this in the past. There are more teams than ever. I, I don't necessarily mind that. I figure if there's high quality curling, let's let's get them all in there. Yeah. Um, I know, and, and as you know, I referenced my uh, my dear mother on this show a lot. She's yeah. a big sports fan, and she said to me, "How come the loser of this game isn't out, but the loser yeah. of the other game was?" Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it still feels like it's not an overly fan friendly format but no, maybe i'm no. wrong maybe i'm no, wrong no no it's not and, and it was very confusing for your everyday curling fan i had a lot of messages we lost the game on friday night to dunstone and i had a lot of messages from people saying um sorry good luck in the bronze game and I had to explain to them that, no, we're not out. We're just in the 3-4 game now. So the fact that you have to do that to, you know, ordinary curling fans isn't isn't great. Uh, so I, I've heard rumors that they will be changing the format and going back to something a little bit more fan-friendly and, and simple. Um because it's yeah, it's just it's just messy, and that's the one thing you don't want, especially when you're trying to attract new fans. You know, make it simple, get the best teams in there, get the high quality curling like you had on the weekend, make the format simple, and people will come out and watch. But as soon as they're confused or don't understand, you're more likely to lose those fans. So hopefully, uh, I know they've had um, some input from a lot of the athletes over the past year, and, and hopefully they're going to be able to find. Uh, find a, a format that works for everybody next year. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't mind the page playoff system. It, it was just, I think the seeding games were a little too much this year. And Yeah, and they did it last year too, Reed. and I, we were um, victims of that seeding game. I think we were 6-2 and two 
when I was with Brad Jacobs, we lost a seeding game, and all of a sudden you're going home, and, and you're looking right. around like, well, we've had a pretty good briar. I, I don't really feel like we should be going home yet. And I know Kevin Cooley from Alberta had that experience this year. They were 7-1 and one and lost that seeding game, and all of a sudden they're going home. So there's a there's a fairness factor, too. You know, if you, if you finish up there in your pools, you shouldn't really be playing that uh, that game for your life. Um, so, but, they're, you know, they're still learning. They're still trying to find a way to get all the best teams as well as the representation from all the provinces and finding a format that works for television. So there's a lot of things at play, but um, hopefully they get it all figured out for the next couple of years here because if this is going to be the quality of curling, then we've got a great opportunity to, to bring a lot of viewers and, and um, young fans to the game. That is curler Mark Kennedy. We got a goalie fight that involved an Oilers prospect coming up. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta injury lawyers. Go to jameshbrown.com. The play-by-play here provided by Shane Albaroni of the Fort Wayne Comets. Comets goaltender and Oilers prospect Ryan Fanti getting in a goalie fight against the Wheeling Nailers. Oh, what is this? Fanti and Barone. Barone wants a piece of Fanti. Look at this. Barone is going out to the blue line. Are they going to go? Oh, the helmets are off. Let's do it. Goalie fight here at the Coliseum. Barone and Fanti lining each other up. Let's see what we got. Fanti with the left. Tags him. Fanti still up. Looking around. Oh, he takes the left hand. Barone. Look at that right by Fanti. Tags him again. Another right. Fanti going in with another one. Barone doesn't have a chance. Fanti takes him down. Look at the comment bench. Explode. <laughs> That's a great call, by the way, uh, from Shane Albaroni and uh, Oilers prospect goaltender, the guy in the goalie fight, Ryan Fanti, joins us now. Ryan, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, doing good here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for hopping on the show. Of course, we got to chat during training camp, and you've been playing with Fort Wayne here in the ECHL, and your name is all over social media and the Internet. The last few days, Let, let's start there. You got in a goalie fight with Brad Barone on Friday night. Um, just describe the whole the whole scene because it was, was was it not that you guys scored an empty netter and then some stuff started started happening? Yeah, exactly. So it was a one goal game um, up until uh, that that last play that I think it was with like thirty seconds or forty seconds left where. Um, we kind of got a break. Um, I think that puck might have fumbled over their de- their defenseman in our in our zone, and um, one of our one of our forwards there, uh, Matt Alvera, was chasing it down. And it was one of those situations where, getting, like the other defenseman, kind of knew he was going to beat him to the puck and get the open net. And the guy kind of gave him a push, going like full speed, and kind of took out Alvy's legs a little bit. So um, after that, there was a little bit of a scrum down in the far end, uh, just because of you know obviously the, the situation that happened, and then. Uh, yeah, that other goalie was actually obviously on the bench because they had an empty net. Um, and then he kind of just got off and was standing at the red line. And I could kind of notice a little bit that he was kind of like standing there and waiting and waiting and kind of peeking down at me. And then, yeah, and then it kind of just, I mean, it happened all so quick, obviously, when it happened. But he kind of looked at me and shook his gloves a little bit. And I guess it kind of just was one of those ones where it, you know what I mean? It's just one of those ones where, one of those things where it just happens so quick and you're not expecting it. So, um, yeah, pretty crazy night overall, though. Well, I, so you said you weren't expecting it. I wanted to ask you that about sort of your level of 
surprised that he would just come off the bench and sort of stand there to, to challenge you? I mean, was there was there any sort of rivalry with with Barone or a previous incident, or he just decided he was going to try to stand up like the rest of his team was? Yeah, no, I don't know. There wasn't anything between uh, him and I. No, it's just one of those. Like, he obviously just got off the bench, I think, originally just because, you know, we scored and he was going to have to go back in the net um, for the last 40 seconds of the game or whatever it was. And then, yeah, I don't know if it's something, you know, that's kind of maybe in the back of every goalie's head at one point is, you know, maybe to cross it, cross it off a bucket list if it's on there, kind of maybe something like scoring a goal. Um, but, uh yeah, I don't know. It kind of just happened. There wasn't anything previous previous going on about it, and kind of just an opportunity. Not, not, I wouldn't even call it an opportunity, obviously, but kind of just a situation that falls in your lap. And yeah, it kind of just happened, I guess. Have you ever been in a fight in a game before? I have not. No, never had. Uh, I played college, so obviously there's no fighting in college. With mostly, obviously, with players wearing cages. Obviously, goalies wear cages, but um, obviously it's not legal in the, in the NCAA. So um, I had maybe one, maybe a little uh, like chance in junior um, before where like an incident kind of um, ensued, but nothing, nothing ended up coming out of it. So um, yeah, it's been my only one. So you did very well in the fight. You tagged him early, and then we're, we're pretty much in control. What do you remember about the actual fight now about three days later? Yeah, no, kind of just, honestly, when we're squaring off, kind of just going through my head, like, holy crap, this is happening, holy crap, this is happening, because, you know, like I said, it just happens quick, and then, you know, maybe a little bit in the back of your mind, you know, like my, my dad's going to ring me out for this one or something, you know, little things like that. Um yeah, and then obviously, like, it kind of just gets down. Obviously, um, a little bit of adrenaline takes over, and, yeah, I guess just things kind of, like, roll quick. Like I've said a few times, it's, I guess I don't really have too much experience with it, so it kind of, everything just kind of went, happened, and, and uh, next thing you know, I was in the room kind of, you know, calming down a little bit and, you know, kind of figure out what all just what all just uh, took place. What did your teammates and your coaches say to you? Yeah, it's just one of those things, like, you know what I mean, just something that doesn't happen too often, um, you know, in any league in general. So uh, I think all the guys were, you know, it was a big win in general, too. Um, the, the team we were playing wheeling there is uh, kind of chasing us for the final playoff spot. So um, just in general, it was a big win on top of, obviously, the little rivalry we have going on with them, um, you know, just team to team right now. So a little bit of emotions in that sense, in that sense that it was a chippy game kind of throughout the, um, the thick of things and then just getting a win. So, um, yeah, everyone was kind of jacked up and kind of you know the first time everyone's any or any other teammates of my uh my team had any um seen anything like that so um i think everyone was just obviously excited with the win and then obviously just the way things out turned turned down the down the thick of things they, they were all pretty jacked up ryan fanti oilers prospect goaltender in the echl with the fort wayne comets joining us tonight on inside sports how soon after the game did you watch the fight and here's Shane's call. I got to give Shane credit, your play-by-play guy and your media relations guy. He did a great job with the play-by-play, too. How long after did you watch it? Yeah, I know Shane is awesome. Um, probably, like, later on after we were getting dressed because we had to get on the road um, right after the game. So um, kind of when we were on the bus, you know, all packing up the bus and finally got on there, you know, you see some videos circling around um, and guys showing it to me. So probably right after the game there. But, yeah, Shane did an awesome job with uh, with the commentary. He's uh, he, he's, he's very enthusiastic. It's, it's cool to listen to. Okay, so you mentioned your dad. What did he say to you when you talked to him? <laughs> yeah, honestly, he was... Uh, 
He's, he's super involved. We talk hockey all the time after after games and stuff. So, um, you know, just thinking. I didn't want to get hurt, obviously, in the moment, too. It's kind of just one of those things where it just happens. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was obviously happy with the way it went. You know, the fact that I didn't really get hit or hurt anything. And um, obviously just that it went, it went well in, in general in that sense and that I was going to be able to play the rest of the weekend, too. So I think he was just happy in that aspect. Okay. Uh, well, good. For, did you clearly you're you're aware you wouldn't have been signed with the Oilers yet, but clearly you're aware of the Talbot Smith fight from 2020. Did that enter your mind during or after? Yeah. Uh, maybe after a little bit, you know, I definitely see some comments here and there about it. And obviously, uh, you know, I'd like to say Smitty was probably a little bit scarier, a little bit stronger than me myself. I don't think I would like to go after Smitty myself. So um, maybe afterwards when I saw it, you know, and, and I saw it pop up itself a few times on social media. So definitely cool to look back on. And obviously that was a, that was a big game um, in general, just two rivalry teams in that sense. So um, definitely, definitely funny to be compared to in that sense a little bit. All right, that's Oilers prospect Ryan Fanti telling you about his goalie fight in the ECHL. This has been a best of edition of Inside Sports. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you tomorrow, 1230 face-off show, game at two. Oilers take on the Sharks. Have a good night.